Are audible everywhere? Good. Um, yeah, good morning once again, Glenridge. It is a privilege to be up here and sharing. Um, if you'll open your Bibles to Ezekiel 47, um, that's the scripture we'll be anchored in this morning. If you've got your Bible, while we are, am I still audible? Am I the only one who can't hear me? Okay, good. I must be the only one who can't hear me. Okay, um, we're in a series of seed and salt, and we are now three preachers in. Um, you will find in this passage we're going to read, it is very seedy and very salty, um, but we'll get there. Just, I think, a little bit of why we are doing a series called Seed and Salt, okay? Um, the seed does not exist for itself to be the best seed that it can be. It exists for purpose. Um, in the case of fruit trees, it will one day become a tree, not just for the sake of being a tree, but to bear much fruit that people can benefit and enjoy um, of that fruit of that tree. Likewise, the salt does not exist just to be salt. Um, what the salt does and will do when you cook dinner tonight is it unlocks the flavor that's in your food. So someone has to get it out of the cupboard, shake it into the dinner or the food, and it un unlocks all that flavor that is in there. Now, without the salt, dinner won't be that great tonight, I promise you. We're a family who does not use much salt in our food, but when there is no salt, we taste it. Ah, ah, something's wrong. Um, and for us, that is a picture of who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to be to the world outside of us. And to us, I'm saying each and every one of us um, in this building, we are called to be seed and salt, not just for ourselves, but to everyone that we come across. And the most beautiful thing for me about the seed and the salt is it doesn't have to try and do anything special. It does not have to become anything special. It just is what God has made it to be, and it just, in what God has made it to be, it can achieve everything that God intended it to achieve. So just like us, we don't have to be anything special. I don't have to be like the next person. The seed does not try to be the salt, and the salt does not try to be the seed. But everything that God has put in the seed and everything that God has put in salt will achieve what it's supposed to achieve. Okay, so hopefully you've opened up to Ezekiel 47. Um, we're going to start from verse 1. Um, so before we dive into the story in Ezekiel 47, um, we are also just hoping that as believers, we've moved past the point of often it's spoken of a fire insurance. Come to Jesus, get your fire insurance, and all is good. So unfortunately, my preach this morning is not one of a fire insurance salesperson. Um, if I had a top pocket, 
That's where my fire insurance would be. I would burn that piece of paper if I had it, but it's inherent, it's within. Once you come to Jesus, it's inherent. And we need to step into the more that he's calling us out to. Okay, so I'm going to start by reading from verse 1 to verse 12. It's a lot of reading, bear with me. But as I read, I want you to see how this is a prophetic picture. Ezekiel is in the time of Israel being in exile at this time. So if you go back to chapter 40, when God leads him to a vision of the temple that will be established in Jerusalem, it starts off with, in the 25th year of our exile. So this is Israel in exile in a foreign land. God gives or leads Ezekiel in the spirit to a prophetic picture, which points, one, to Israel being back in Jerusalem and the temple being established. I think Jan, whoever she's disappeared to with the kids, preached a little bit on that, called it episode one, the first preach in the series. Um, but it doesn't stop there. This picture then, actually, and as we read, hopefully you'll pick it up, fast forwards to beyond just the time the temple is established and actually points to Jesus. And that's some of what we're going to look at today. Okay, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand. And he led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees, on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will be, and the, will, okay, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engelium, and it, will, and it will be a place for the spreading of nets. The fish, spreading of nets, its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt, and on the banks and on the, both sides of the river, they will grow all kinds of trees for food, and their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail but they will bear fresh fruits every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruits will be for food and their leaves for healing. And the, banks on, and the banks on both sides of the river will grow all kinds of trees for food. 
Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. I think I'm repeating that. But they will bear fresh fruits every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruits will be for food and their leaves for healing. Okay, some sort of repetition there. I apologize. Um, but that is a scripture. And this is an accurate picture that actually shows how Jesus is the living temple. But before I get there, um, we were... We lost a sister and a friend a few weeks back, um, Jelly Turner. And at the funeral, her dad read the scripture. And I remember leaning over and saying, um, this is what I'll be sharing on. But the point is, um, this is the scripture that Jelly used to share and share to her dad. And like we talking about seed, a seed, the Bible says, unless it is buried and dies, cannot bear much fruit. And I think this is part of the fruit for you, Mike, um, that your daughter has left behind. Um, some of what's in the scripture, I believe a lot of it, is what she had intended for you. Um, so how does this point to Jesus as a prophetic picture? Okay, in the book of John, um, chapter 2, verse, chapter two, verse 18 and 19. This is the part where um, Jesus goes into the temple and people are trading in the temple and so on. And um, he gets angry, makes a whip of cords, drives everyone out. And they ask him, um, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So they're questioning his authority. Who are you? What gives you the right to drive us out? Jesus answered them, Did destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They obviously thought this temple has taken many years to build, um, and you're going to raise it up. They're thinking of the physical temple that they were trading in. Meanwhile, we obviously know that Jesus was raised on the third day, um, from death, and that's the temple he's talking about. Um, so as I mentioned, if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 40, if you read from 40 to 46, it's probably not the most interesting read in the Bible. Um, you, you, you get more interesting passages. Um, but Ezekiel is led in the spirit and God is showing him the temple. Um, measurement by measurement. On the east side it will look like this. On the south side it looked look like this. The chambers, the different rooms. This is how sacrifices will be given and this is the first floor of the temple. There will be another floor and so on. Like Every area, every room, the sizes and everything. Um, it's kind of boring to be honest. But what is the purpose of the temple? If you ask yourself, the temple is where the priest will go in, or I'll put it this way, the temple is where heaven and earth would meet. Inside the temple, inside the chambers, where the priest will come in and offer sacrifices, is where that priest would meet with God, face to face, in that place. Someone was preaching the other day and said, what they actually used to do is they'd put a rope on the priest's foot 
because you're going to meet with God. And if you are not right, you could not come out alive. And we're not going in there after you. We're pulling you out. <laughs> so you had a bell that tinkled. We knew you were still alive. When that bell stops ringing or clinging, whatever, we're pulling you back out because we're not going in there after you. It's a place where heaven and earth and earth met. Okay? So that is, that is the one important thing. Um, but the next important thing which ties this, or the one thing that ties us to Jesus, as you start reading from verse 1, then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces to the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. For some of us, that should already start to sound familiar. Okay? Now, we have the benefit, and it's easier to understand this, why I'm saying for some of us that sound familiar. We already know the story of Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross, um, after that he'd been crucified next to two robbers next to him, it was on the weekend of the Passover, and so because they had to, there's a day of preparation, they had to get preparation, so they couldn't leave the bodies hanging out on the cross after they'd been crucified. So what they did is, they said, we need to get those three bodies down. Um, if they're not dead, we need to break their legs. So they broke the legs of the one, they broke the legs of the other, but when they came to Jesus, Jesus was already dead. So the soldier, this is found in John chapter 19, verse 23 to 24, if you want to find it. Um, so one of the Roman soldiers pierced Jesus on the side, and out of the side of Jesus came water and blood gushed out. So pretty much like you read here in Ezekiel, the water is coming out the side of the temple, okay? And I know there are those among us who are saying, hold on, it's not complete. Ezekiel has just spoken about the water. Where is the blood? Okay. So if you look historically and you read about um, the temple that was established in Jerusalem, when the temple was built... Obviously, there's a lot of sacrifices, sacrificed by the priest on the altar. I'm sorry if this gets a little bit grim, but it's the historical reality. There would have been a lot of blood. They're sacrificing bulls, goats, pigeons, rams, and all that blood would have had to go somewhere and would have had to be cleaned. So what they, so what they would do in the temple is there was a, call it a pipe, or a duct, where all the blood will drain into. Um, and obviously when they come, they'd clean it with water, and that would go underneath the temple and shoot out on the side. So if you're actually standing outside of the temple, looking towards the temple on the riverbank, what you would see when they clean that is blood and water coming out the side of the temple. And this picture here in Ezekiel, probably unknown to Ezekiel at the time, 
was pointing directly at Jesus, was pointing directly to Jesus. Yes, it talks of the physical temple, because that's what would happen. You'd see water flowing east out of the temple, but knowing what Jesus came to do and how he fulfilled it, he fulfilled that claim that I am the temple. If you break this temple down, I'll raise it in three days. On the cross, when he was crucified, pierced on his side, at his death, he fulfilled that prophecy and that claim came true and was um, obvious to everyone watching, like they would see if they stood at the river at the side of the temple, water and blood coming out. The same was true for Jesus. Now, this just establishes that Jesus is the temple, would have established that claim for any of the Jews who were in the audience at the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay, but then we get to um, verse 3 to 5 of Ezekiel. Before I get into this portion of the scripture, if I had to give today's word a title, I'd call it releasing the rivers of revival. Okay. So at the moment, we're just at the water coming out of the temple. We're going to read how that water, as we read earlier, gets deeper and deeper, and what's the meaning of that, and where it eventually gets to, because it eventually gets to a sea, and what the importance and the meaning of that is. So verse 3 to 5 reads like this. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in. A river that could not be passed through. Okay. Before we get into the river and the water, I know as Christians we get excited about living waters and... Um, Just stepping back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, going on about the business of his day, um, yes, he was a prophet, but to be a prophet means he had to allow himself to be interrupted but where, by where God was leading him. And I love how this verse says he was led. Being led is an option that you take. You can refuse to be led, or you can allow yourself to be led. It's, it's, it's not mandatory. It's not someone grabbing you by the scruff of the neck and saying, let's go. That's what Nick does with his kids every morning. Um, not quite leading. Leading is, these are the options. Do you want to come along for the journey? <clears throat> um, so the scripture continually will say, Ezekiel was led from one place to another and another. It shows a position of heart of Ezekiel that he was willing to go where God was saying, regardless of whether the time was relevant or it wasn't relevant. Now, this has snuck into the preach because this happened just yesterday. Um, wake up on a Saturday morning, usually, go for a run on the beach, depending on how I'm feeling, it's 5Ks or 10Ks. Um, 
and I'm one of those runners who chase down the clock. I've got a target, running 10Ks, I'm not going to be running longer than an hour. So I'm focused when I'm running. I'm not that great a runner, um, so I'm just running. Got an app on the phone, obviously fitness app, um, telling you how you're doing every kilometer, and that's what you're chasing every kilometer. You're chasing time. And as I'm running, one of the ladies, um, you know, from here at church, haven't seen her this morning. I'm running, she greets me, and I'm like, obviously focused, one track minded, running. Then I look back, ah, okay. Then I remembered during prayer, God had given me a word for her, and I hadn't seen her since. And I've carried on running another like 200 meters past her at this point in time. And I'm thinking, ah, I'm kind of chasing six minutes a kilometer here. But I turned back, <laughs> um, just trying to be obedient to God, allowing him to interrupt what I'm doing at that point in time. Um, I'd had the thought to say, I know who she works with. I'll talk to that person, you know, get me a number. I've got a message for her. Please send it on to her. Um, but I felt God saying, no, 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 go and talk to her there and then. So I shared this word, um, this prophetic picture that God had given me for her. And she is leaving um, with a ministry group end of this month, towards the end of this month. And she tells me, you know, I'd had a dream that did not quite make sense to me three days earlier. Now, with you sharing this word that you have shared, fits perfectly, and I understand this dream now that God had given me. But that's just because I allowed God to interrupt what I was doing. I was busy on a run, chasing time, and I thought, okay, you know, um, not an opportune time to share a word on the beach. We usually leave that for church meetings, Sundays, Thursdays, maybe home group. But I think also the other point is our ministry isn't in a building. Our ministry isn't in buildings. Our ministry is everywhere we go at whatever point in time. Let us have a position of heart where we allow God to interrupt at any point in time. Open up your heart for God to interrupt what you are doing for what he wants to do. So the next thing here is we see the waters getting deeper and deeper. Um, I have no idea what a thousand cubits is. I can guess because we've got clues. It goes from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep, um, a thousand cubits at a time. So that's just a guess. I can only guess Ezekiel was about my height. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, one... Ezekiel is led and is invited into this river, river to go deeper and deeper. I think God, in this vision, could have just figured Ezekiel can probably swim, chuck him in the deep end. Why go ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep? There's obviously something in it. And if you think of waters, I think maybe the best example for us may be like public swimming pools. 
You go to a place with public swimming pools. As a family, we usually we like going to Wesville Swimming Pool because they have a swimming pool for little, 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 little kids. Probably ankle deep to me. The kids can splash around and that's okay. They have a pool which is a little bit more deeper. Second pool. They've got three pools. Second pool. I don't know how deep it is, but you're not taking your little, little, little kids and putting them in that second pool. It might not be safe for them. It might not be a good idea. Okay. The first pool is good enough for the small children. Inexperienced, um, maybe, yeah, in terms of time, not that advanced at what they do. And I think God here is just signaling that um, no matter at what level you are at this point in time, if you just come into the faith, you may not feel that confidence and so on, come in. Come into the pool. You are invited. Whether you've got a bit more experience and the water is knee-deep and you're not maybe at all that confident, but you're confident enough to go knee deep, waist deep, come in, it's an invitation. But ultimately the invitation is not to stay ankle deep, is not to stay knee deep or waist deep. It's to get to a point in time where the river is so deep that you cannot pass through that river. The only option you have is to swim in that river and let the river of what God is doing take you downstream. So at this point in time, I think it's an opportune point in time in reading this passage is to say, Lord, where am I? Am I still ankle deep? Because you could be ankle deep 15 years into your walk of faith. You could be above your head and swimming two months into your walk of faith. It's not a matter of time. God is inviting us into maturity. He wants us to step in. You'll step in ankle deep. You won't just jump into the deep end. But God is inviting us into maturity, into depth with him. And he wants us to be in the waters that are above head heights, in a river that you cannot cross, so that you're relying on him and you are swimming. Um, Incidentally, he said his favorite memory of him and I is swimming at the beach. There is one thing I tell myself every time we are going to the beach. With the children, less so with the girls, because they are the knee-deep type. I've got three children, by the way. Married to the most beautiful wife, Malindi. Um, three children. Oldest is a boy, he's 12. And two younger girls, all two years apart. When we're at the beach, they are, yeah, they're happy. Splash, splash. Z thinks he's invincible. And he goes, in deep. So every time I'm at the beach, I'm always, in a, mentally, I'm always in a place where, should anything happen, I'm ready to run in after him. Whether I'll manage or not is not the point. <laughs> I grab one of those floaters on those lifeguard towers 
and I'm going. And I think in that invitation to death, our Father in heaven looks at us the same way. He's not going to chuck us in the deep end and watch us and laugh at us. That's what big brothers do. That's how my big brothers taught me how to swim. <laughs> they throw me in the deep end and laugh. But our Father in heaven wants us in there. He puts us in gradually so we get comfortable and we're in the deep end. And where it's deep, he's saying, I've got you. I've got your back. You're not on your own. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Should I need to jump in after you, I'll be there. I will rescue you. So do not fear going deep in the Lord. Do not fear. Do not for a second think, oh, it's for a certain type of people. It's for a certain type of individual. No. It's for anyone and everyone. And if you struggle, your father is there to help you out. And I think okay. then in this picture when you go to verse 6 to 12 verse 6 starts off with and he said to me I sort of paused there, and there's a lot of pauses in this last um, portion of the scripture. All along, Ezekiel is being led and is being shown visually. God hasn't said anything to him. He's just showing him. He's just showing him. He's figuring out what's happening as he goes along. And he said to me, sort of raised my curiosity. Son of man, have you seen this? Another thing which piqued my curiosity. If anyone, anywhere, comes to you and says, have you seen this? Your interest is already piqued. Your curiosity is already piqued. Something peculiar is coming. Something uncommon is coming something you would not ordinarily see is about to be seen. They say, son of man, have you seen this? I also just love how it's, it's a picture of a relationship. It's not just an all-powerful God, somewhere distant, giving commands. I would not ordinarily, there's some first-time visitors in the building this morning. Thank you for coming, welcome. But I would not ordinarily go to someone I've seen for the first time and say, have you seen this? They'd be like, okay, that guy is a bit, <laughs> bit over-friendly, I don't know what it is. But it, 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 it points to a relationship that you can go to someone and say, have you seen this? My son would do that, my children would do that, my friends would do that. Have you seen this? Because it's a relationship. We know what we have seen. We know what would be peculiar to us. And when I say, have you seen this? That's why my curiosity will get piqued. I wonder what he has to show me. Okay. Then he led me back to the riverbank. 
As I went back on the bank of the river, very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. Now the Bible does not say which sea that is, that is going down into. But for Ezekiel, because he's an Israelite, he may know where Jerusalem and east of Jerusalem, those rivers flow to where, it may be obvious. But to us who are not unfamiliar with Israel, probably, like myself, there may be a few who've been there, um, it's not all too clear. But for some reason it's peculiar that the water is flowing to that sea. Let's continue. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Now, like I said, it's something peculiar. So for some reason, it's peculiar that the water is becoming fresh. It's not normal. And wherever the, go the river goes, every living, every living creature that swarms will live. So obviously, wherever this river is going, there isn't life. Because it's peculiar that things will live. And there will be very many fish. So wherever it's going, there are no fish or not many fish at all. Water goes there. Um, okay, I've read that it will become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand behind this, beside the sea from Engedi to Engleam. And it will be a place for spreading of nets. As fish will be of very many kinds. Like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh for they are to be salt. So I think all these things that start coming up in this text, if you haven't figured it out now, this river flows to the Dead Sea. Okay, um, I think many of us have learned in school somewhere along the line of the Dead Sea. It has no life, pretty much. Say just microorganisms, um, a bit of algae, but there are no fish, um, there are no trees, there is no seaweed, it is dead. Okay? Um, I think that one peculiar thing for us sitting here now should be saying, obviously that prophecy is wrong because it's not fresh <laughs> right now. That prophecy was how many ever years BC? Um, Christ has come and gone and died, but the Dead Sea is still not fresh. Something is wrong with that prophecy. Okay. It can't be very right, but we'll get there. Um, So in the natural, this does not make sense. But if we go back to how this picture is a picture of Jesus and Jesus crucified. Okay. So Jesus is this temple. And as he was pierced at his death, one, this prophetic picture in Ezekiel, clearly points to the death of Jesus on the cross. Not just Jesus um, being the temple, but Jesus on the cross, being crucified and pierced on his side. It points to the death of Jesus being a very peculiar thing. One being peculiar that in the death of Jesus, life, will come. 
the first fruit of that, possibly being Jesus himself, being raised from the dead. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Like you read here, the waters of the Dead Sea. Obviously not the physical Dead Sea, but we'll get to what the Dead Sea further signifies in a moment. We'll become fresh. Where there is no life, there are suddenly, there is suddenly life. Where there is death, there is resurrection. Um, where there is lack, there is suddenly plenty. Okay. And reading through this, every living creature that swarms will live. For me, it starts to speak of the nations. To me, it starts to speak of those outside of Jesus. Because it is in this river, as it flows, as it flows from the side of Jesus, as those in Jesus flow from within, outward of the church building, so to speak, outward of themselves and into the flow of what God is doing, life begins to team. Life, things start to come alive. There are nations out there. Now, significantly, the Dead Sea is borders Israel. Now, saying bordering Israel is probably not 100% accurate because it's half in Israel, it's half in Jordan, which is a country outside. So it borders Israel, um, which then kind of reminds me of the Great Commission, which says, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It kind of reminds me of Acts 2, when Jesus has resurrected, and he says to them, I'm sending you into all the nations. Into, into, into Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Some of you may still be within your borders. Some of you will still be within your neighbors. But some of you will cross to the other side of the border, into the nations. And as you stay in this river of what God is doing, the, this picture is loaded with things, and I'm trying to wrap it up now. As you stay in what God is doing, God is bringing life. Okay. So the first thing we see, we've spoken about the many fish, which I believe are the nations and our neighbors that God is calling us to, outside of this church and beyond our borders, into our workplaces, into whatever area of influence that you find yourself in, even if it's on the beachfront going for a run. God has called you to that space to give his word, to minister his word. So there's the nations waiting because it speaks of fish of many kinds, many kinds, not all the same, but many kinds in dead waters that will become fresh. Two, I believe this scripture, so that's the saltiness of it, seed and salt, where you've got um, a very salty seed. That's why the dead sea is dead. It's way too salty. Um, but then it also speaks of trees on the banks of the river. And in this picture, the trees are clearly those who are in Jesus. As they get into this river and they plant it along the banks as the river flows and ends up in the Dead Sea, 
which will bear many fruit, which will be food for many to eat. Fruit, not for yourself, because the tree does not eat its own fruit. But fruit for others, food for the nations. That's what we are called to. We are called to have leaves of healing. And it is not just, I believe it is a physical healing, where you pray for the sick and they get well, where you, yeah, pray for those that are injured and they get better, people to come off crutches, wheelchairs, yes, that's part of it. But I believe that's only a small part of healing. I believe it's healing spiritually. The world is broken spiritually. And we've got the leaves that will bring that healing. The world is broken mentally, emotionally. And we in this river have got the leaves that will bring healing to the nations, to our neighbors, to wherever we go. I think I like the... When Ray spoke of the Great Commission, he said it actually translates to as you go. Not just go into all the nations, but as you go. Everywhere you find yourself. As you go to work. As you go to school. As you go to the shops. As you go to the beach. That's what God has given you. So I said when I started, I believe that this... Or I said I would title it releasing rivers of revival. For me, the release would be in this last prophetic picture. As we sit in church today, we're going to go out. Poetically imagine it like a river flowing out of this building dispersed into wherever we may go. We are then the sea that is flowing in this river that is to go into the world because we're not called to come in. We are called to go out. Out from the presence of Jesus. Stay in this river because we are born into Jesus and take him out into the world and plant ourselves into whatever he's called us to as we carry on moving. Can that be a release? Can that be a prophetic picture? As we leave here today, we are leaving to seed the world. We are leaving to salt the world. We've all been called. And I think the last pointer of how this picture prophetically points to Jesus is that when Jesus died, that temple tore in two. So where only the priest could go into the presence of God, we now all have access into the presence of God. So now we all live with the presence of God. It's not for an ordained particular few born into a particular bloodline because that's what it was in Israel. You were born into the bloodline of the Levites and those were the people who became the priests and the high priests who stood before God. 
and ministered on behalf of the people. We now, all of us who are found in Jesus, in a sense, the fish of many kind, you're not born of one particular bloodline, but in the bloodline of Christ, as the blood and water came out of his side, we were all born into that. And we have been called, as we leave this building, to go out and flow in the river of what God is doing and seed and salt the world. Add fruit and flavor to the world. Thank you.